You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. In today's episode, I'm having a conversation with one of my best friends on the planet, Chelsea Carr. Chelsea and I met on the internet because she's also a blogger. She started her blog, Hey There Chelsea, as means to share hope and encouragement in her own daily pursuit of a vibrant life after surviving pediatric cancer. She's also survived a miscarriage last year and is currently battling an infertility diagnosis. Yet amidst so much hard stuff, Chelsea is still one of the most vibrant people I know, and she's personally helped me through hard times in my own life, so I wanted to get her on Thrive to share her story and her advice with you for anyone else currently going through really hard stuff right now, especially around the holidays. Be sure to stay tuned through this episode, drop us your thoughts on social media, and without further ado, welcome Chelsea. Hi. So, Chels, let's dive right in and pass the mic to you to tell us your story. Maybe everything you went through as a kid and teenager up until the start of your blog as basically your your pledge to live a vibrant life. Sure. Um, man, I feel like I've told this story so many times, but it like always is crazy to go back to the the beginning when I think about how far I've come. But basically, uh, about three months before my 16th birthday, I started having really bad shin splints. And they just never went away. They never got better. They were only in my left leg. And I was on the marching band at the time in high school. And we were marching in lots of um, competitive shows. And it just got worse and worse. And my mom finally decided, you know, that I wasn't just being super dramatic and took me to a doctor. And by then I had like pretty much a bit, it was pretty swollen right around my knee. And that doctor led us to another doctor. And long story short, after a bunch of tests and an MRI, it came back that there was a tumor in my left leg. Um, And a biopsy showed that it was osteosarcoma, which is bone cancer. It's a pretty common uh, pediatric cancer. My tumor was six inches big, right below my left knee and my left tibia. And um, I went from being diagnosed on a Tuesday and started a very aggressive regimen of chemotherapy that Friday. Um, My chemo lasted for pretty much a year, and I've had several reconstructive surgeries over the years to remove the tumor, save my left leg, reconstruct my left leg, replace my knee, um, all of that jazz. So I'm now 13 years in remission, which is amazing. very lucky and very blessed to have had, uh, well, I was really lucky and blessed that my cancer hadn't spread by the time that they had caught it, uh, because my tumor was so big and I responded relatively well to chemo. There were always complications, but the chemo did a really good job mopping up the mess, killing the tumor, um, and 13 years remission now. So it's been a crazy time. I know. So I started, Hey there, Chelsea. Um, Oh man, like five or six years ago, I was like having a midlife crisis. I studied to be an English high school teacher. And after teaching for a year, decided that's not what I wanted to do with my life. And I started just kind of 
writing um, on a blog because I had started to process a lot of the trauma I had gone through as a teenager that as a teenager I had blocked out because as a teenager you're just not really capable of processing the kinds of trauma you go through <laughs> um, when you're in that fight or flight uh, type of situation. So uh, I started to really experience some PTSD and some trauma and writing about it was a really good way to kind of work through that. Um, and it was also just a really good creative outlet to remind myself that there was more going for me than just being a cancer survivor, that there was more to me than just being a cancer survivor. As big of a part as cancer has played in my life, I didn't want that to just be my only identity. And I was also just kind of going through the process of like learning to love my body again after feeling so betrayed by it for so long. And um, I had written this one post one day and some girl had found it on Pinterest and she had sent me a message and she said that she had just been diagnosed with um, pediatric cancer and she was thanking me for writing this blog post because it showed her that there was a vibrant life to be led after cancer. Mm -hmm. And that really clicked with me. It resonated with me. And that just kind of became my mantra uh, from here on out to show that it is possible to live a vibrant life after trauma, after cancer, after after all of those sad things that you can still live a beautiful and vibrant life. So that's where I am today. And I love that because that's such a definitive choice too, that you make every single day to wake up and live a vibrant life. So I love, 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 love that that's what you embody. I want to ask you too, this was something that Dana Donafrey mentioned on a previous episode, um, who was also a cancer survivor. And she was talking about how it's always something that's kind of in the back of your head in terms of, will it come back? Will the cancer resurface? And that it's hard for cancer survivors to ever really totally cut the, cut the rope and be separate from that diagnosis. So I know now it's been years later and as a married adult, you and your husband decided it was time to start a family. So how did being a cancer survivor impact that decision, if at all? Yeah, it definitely did. It, um, I feel like with cancer, especially when it, it leaves you with so many uh, scars, both phys like physically and emotionally, but I mean, just chemo, the chemo regimen I went through just really did a number on my, on my poor little body and um, several reconstructive surgeries left my left leg uh, attached to my body for which I'm very grateful, but definitely not the way it used to be. So I'm reminded of cancer pretty much every step I take. Um, every ache and pain is somehow connected to that. So there really isn't a way to, to move forward from it. I feel like I'm always kind of looking over my shoulder, you know, wondering if it's going to come back for me or what other like side effect am I going to deal with down the road that that's caused from that. And that's definitely something that uh, Dustin, my husband, and I talked about a lot, even when we were dating, that A, I might not even be able to have kids because chemo can do a number on your re reproductive system, um, but B, that it was terrifying to me to think that my cancer could come back um, as a mom and that that could leave him, you know, on his own with children if, if it got to a point where uh, it wasn't a good situation. Uh, so it's definitely something we've had a lot of long conversations about, uh, but I just really feel like the longer I moved past my initial diagnosis, 
the more I was able to prove to myself that like I am capable of surviving these hard things. And it's just, I didn't survive those hard things to live in a fearful way. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't live, survive the cancer and the chemo and all the reconstructive surgeries to not live a full life as full as possible. And having a family is definitely part of my plan on having a full life. So it's kind of like a, just a personal decision, but that is how we approached it is I would be doing myself and my body who fought so hard to get me to this point, a disservice if I didn't live my best full life and do the things I wanted to live. What was the point of surviving, you know? Absolutely. So, I mean, going off of that too, first off, I want to thank you in advance because I know how open you are in sharing your story and wanting to help other people who are going through similar hardships and that's not easy. And a lot of people would struggle with that kind of vulnerability, I think. So on behalf of all listeners, thank you in advance because you're certainly, you continue to go through so much and you're not on the other side by any means. So that's not necessarily an easy conversation to be had. But um, that kind of brings us to, you're one of four women who has suffered a miscarriage and you're still fighting a fight in this infertility journey. And I mean, I think people seem to be more open now to talking about how common miscarriages are, but it's still something that I think could and should probably be talked about even more since so many women have them sometimes without even realizing it. I mean, it's 25% of all of all pregnancies at this point that end in miscarriage. So what do you wish the world knew from the perspective of someone who has been through one already? Yeah, it was, um, it was totally, uh, so unexpected for us because, uh, we just didn't even know the statistics, you know, we just didn't, we didn't realize that that was something that was so common until it happened to us. And our doctor was saying one in four, like what one in four pregnancies and then miscarriage. And it was just totally shocking because no one talked about it enough for me to realize that it was that common. And you just don't know until you know, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was just like very, it was a very hard experience because it felt so unexpected. Um, Things I wish other people knew about miscarriage is A, that it is so common, but B, that um, through the experience I learned that happiness and sadness can coexist, which was a really beautiful learning experience. But also I want people to know that I can appear happy, but still be grieving and I can be grieving, but I can still have happy things going on in my life. And it's okay to have room for both. Um, and it's important to have room for both because if you don't, then either the grief will swallow you whole or you won't be able to process your grief fully. So. I think a lot of people looked at us and didn't understand fully that we could be so happy after a miscarriage in certain instances, but we were trying to grasp to that happiness and other people would look at us and see us so sad and be like, well, it was just a miscarriage. Like you didn't even get past the first trimester, but that was a very, very real loss. And sometimes I feel like women who go through miscarriages feel like they can't, they don't have a right to that grief because they didn't get to a certain point in their pregnancy or they didn't actually have that baby. Um, But those are very real losses and they demand to be felt. And it's really important that we validate those emotions as a real loss. Absolutely. And was there anything that 
helped you as you were grieving yourself going through that, that you think would be helpful for other women to know, or maybe just start practicing if they just found out they might be miscarrying or are experiencing that themselves? I think one of the most validating things um, that was said to me was by one of my very best friends. Um, She texted me and she had had actually had a miscarriage like two years before. And when I told her what was happening, she said, it's okay to feel however you feel and you don't owe an explanation to anyone. And that just really made room for all of the emotions. Like it was okay to feel sad and it was okay to feel grief and it was okay to feel anger and it was okay to have a faith crisis. Like it was okay to feel all of those things, but just having permission from someone else to, to say it was okay to feel those things was very helpful for me. So if anyone is in the beginning stages of going through something like that, that is what I would say to them. It's okay to feel however you feel. However you feel is totally fine. And it was also helpful for me to um, have some kind of um, like almost like a token, um, someone gifted me this really beautiful necklace and it had a heart on one side and little baby feet on the other. Mm -hmm. And it was just a way for me to feel like I could keep that baby and that spirit and that, um, that happiness I felt at having the opportunity to carry that baby with me at all times. And on days that I'm very sad, I will wear that necklace and feel like I have an angel. Sorry, I'm getting emotional, but I will feel like I have like that little angel with me. Um, And so just having um, something like that to carry that spirit with me and to remind me to be the mom that I know that baby would want me to be, the mom that that baby would be proud of, that was very helpful for me to get through those first few months. I can't comment on that personally because then I will start crying. <laughs> so I can talk to you about more that more off the air. But I will say in my head, you're basically like the quintessential definition of being a fighter and of being a mom. I, I, I scratched the last part because I won't even go into it. I don't want to become a mess myself. But (laughs) what basically, what do you tell yourself every day to get through any hardships that might be ahead? Sure. Um, I have a couple mantras that I've taken with me through, um, through my time being sick. And one of them is one day at a time. Like sometimes you just have to get up and get through that one day and you don't it will get overwhelming for me if I think about like especially in the middle of or starting these this fertility journey and the fertility treatments that we're about to um go through if I think too much about the future it gets very discouraging it's very overwhelming it can get pretty like sad um to think about everything we have to go through and so instead I'll wake up and just be like what can I do today to make this a really good day for myself. Maybe it's getting up and like moving my body and like feeling appreciation for the things it can do. Maybe it's just like taking an extra hour and doing my makeup and feeling like super like put together. Maybe it's taking a nap, but it's like that one day at a time I wake up in the morning and instead of getting overwhelmed by all the things that I know are coming down the line, I just think about what can I do today to make it a very good day. 
I love that too, because that's so relevant for anyone in life, regardless of if you're on a fertility journey or whatever hardship you have ahead. I think so many of us tend, and maybe it's just the society that we live in, we tend to fixate on the future and think, what can we be doing more of? What should we be doing to make it happen for tomorrow? And we lose our peace today when we do that. So I think regardless of whatever struggle or journey or path any listeners are currently on, that's really relevant advice to just sometimes take that step back and focus on what can I do with the moments that I am guaranteed right now, which is For sure. this moment. <laughs> yeah. And I think that a lot of people who are going through trials or going through certain things, um, they get stuck in that like, oh, I'm just waiting for this thing to happen. I'm in this space of waiting. And instead of like taking advantage of the wait, they're just wasting time at least that's what I've looked at myself mm -hmm. um that's like a little bit of a truth bomb but like sometimes when you're in the wait you're wasting time yeah. and I've been trying my hardest to look at the time in the wait as the time to grow like if I can't have a baby now then what can I be doing to make my life better in the wait like it doesn't have to be a waste you know absolutely that's a total truth bomb but man do people need to hear that <laughs> I think um, being able to talk with you now too is helpful for listeners because because you're not through to that other side yet, so to speak. Yeah, so it's like you've been through the ringer and you're still in the ringer. So I think it might be more relatable to hear your story and advice to others who are also in a similar spot of being in the midst of something right now and maybe not yet seeing the light on the other side of the tunnel. So how do you manage stresses or fears of the unknown without having guarantees of any sort? I mean, you kind of touched on that there and just focusing on that day, that day-to-day -day experience, but what would you say to people who want to thrive and feel like they can't break out of this bubble of survival and it's not in their control one way or the other? I lately I have been saying, I often find myself saying that I'm in the trenches. I'm in the trenches of infertility. I'm in the trenches of feeling super sad or struggling with anxiety or PTSD. And sometimes those trenches feel so deep that you can't poke your heads above the line. You can't see the light. You're just like really in the depths of that trench. Um, but something that's really helped me is that not giving myself the expectation that I have to be all the way out of the trench because that's not realistic and you have to be able to feel the emotions or else it just makes it worse. But giving myself reasons to poke my head above the trench and remind myself that there's still sunlight. So for me personally, my husband and I have a hobby we do together. We have a Jeep. You've been in it. I love um, it. <laughs> love it. It's a Jeep we've been building into a dedicated off-road vehicle. Um, Dustin just did this major upgrade over the summer and when I feel like, like I'm really in the trenches, we'll take the Jeep out for a long, like off-roading trip for the weekend. I'll drive it. Um, and it's just a really good like, escape from everything. It's something I have complete control over driving that rig over all these obstacles. Um, and it just reminds me that I can still live a joyful life, that there are still things that make me happy and that I still have something going for me, even if it is just this like hobby that a lot of people think is like so expensive and pointless, <laughs> um, but it makes me happy. And having 
some kind of foundation or hobby to rely on allows me to poke my head above those trenches and feel the sun on my face and know that even if things are hard a lot of the time that there's still um there's still light in life and there's still something that can make me feel happy and that just goes back to the you can feel happy and sad at the same time and so most of the time I'm in the trench feeling sad but once in a while I'll poke my head out and feel super happy and it's just about balancing those things that metaphor is such a beautiful visual too because I think it it sheds light literally (laughs) on the fact that it's all about your perspective because the sun is still there. So I think so many times when we're in our hardest moments, we forget that the sun is there at all. And we think we're just in darkness or we think that God has abandoned us, or we just have that total sense of isolation and darkness. And it's really all about the perspective because even in the darkest night, literally the sun in our solar system is still there. It's just right. that you can't see it. Right. So I love that metaphor of the trench and how you're acknowledging that you could be really darn deep down in that trench and it could be so sucky and it can be really hard to stretch your head out and there might be days where you're, you don't reach the top of the trench at all, but the sun is still there. And at some point, you'll peek your head over and you'll be able to see it again for whatever period of time, but it's still there. I love that. Right. Thank you. Yeah. And like I said, I think it's very important to not set the expectation that you have to be out of the trench. Like I don't have that expectation for myself, especially with the hard things we're going through. It's unrealistic. And frankly, I would be more concerned about myself if I was out of the trench. You know what I mean? But not having that expectation gives me the freedom to poke my head out and feel happy and know that I can still have room for the sadness too. And honestly, so many people have their own varying degrees of trenches all throughout life anyway. I would say there's probably very few people in life who are out of a trench. And if they are, I mean, good for them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But it's like everybody has a trench of some sort. It's just the depth that varies as time goes on. So very relevant for, I think, a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. One of my favorite pieces of advice that you've ever given me was about the five minute rule. So can you share that with listeners? Because I think that that's super poignant and it's definitely helped me through many a hard time. (laughs) Sure. I had a feeling you were going to ask me about this, so I haven't talked about it yet, but this is my number one (laughs) like mantra Um, the thing that I cling to even on my darkest days and the thing that really helps me keep as positive an attitude as possible, even when things are hard. Um, it's actually, it's, I can't take credit for it. It's all my mom. Um, but when when I was (laughs) sick, um, and in the hospital and facing various complications from chemo or various complications from surgery, um, there would be times where I'd just get so sad, as any 16-year-old would, as any person would, but especially as a 16-year-old, um, I would get so, so sad and often would ask my mom things like, why me? Like, why is this happening to me? And like, why, why do I have to do this? And I just want to give up. And she would always say to me, she would say, you have five minutes to be a victim, and then you have to live the rest of the day as a survivor. And that meant that I had five minutes to feel the feelings, to feel sorry for myself, to give myself the pity party, to feel all the sad emotions that come with something like that. But then I had to pull up my bootstraps 
and put my survivor hat on and be a survivor and tackle those things with a as like can do attitude as possible and even now like that is how I approach any hard thing um sometimes my five minutes is like a week like sometimes <laughs> it's a week to be sad and then I can be a survivor and but it's just the principle of you have to feel the things you have to feel the feelings it's something that I've really learned um in order to move on from them but you can't let them own you and you can't let them rule your life because then you'll be sad the whole time and so it's very important to say, okay, I feel sad about this. I recognize that I feel sad about this. I'm taking the information from this sadness, but then I can let it go. And now I can be a survivor. And now I can tackle this problem as best I can, as hard as I can. And even though I was sad, I still have so much going for me. Absolutely. It's so good. And I mean, my mom told me something similar growing up too. And she would always say, well, what are you going to do about it? And I ended up writing about that on my blog, in my book coming up, but it was always, okay, you can wallow for a hot second, but then what are you going to do about it? What next? Because you can't just sit there and wallow forever because it's not productive or healthy for you right. or for anyone else. So you let yourself feel those feelings, just like you said, and process them as best as you can, but then there has to be something next because- right. Otherwise, you just stay in the same place, and that is probably sucky for all. So, I mean, hey, it's fabulous advice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It really got me through a lot of, a lot, that whole year of treatment, you know, and it became like kind of this persona I adapted is, okay, I'm a survivor now, and that's something to be proud of, and that's Absolutely. something to, like, to own, and it's okay to be a survivor and to put your tough face on and to say, okay, I'm going to handle this now. Um, and that really just gave me the confidence a lot of the time to be like, okay, here we go. Like survivor mode. Let's go. Let's do it. I love that survivor mode. Yeah. <laughs> Activated. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So obviously we're in the midst of the holiday season and obviously you're still going through so, so much. So I wanted to ask you to, I mean, with Christmas right around the corner, especially in a season of unknown and in a season of struggle or pain, do you have any tips for finding or creating joy in any way or maintaining a po as positive a perspective as possible to still enjoy the season amidst the hard stuff? Because I know the holidays can be just kind of throw all of the hard stuff on a pedestal for so many people. So yeah. what do you do to create joy in the everyday moments still and not completely hate the holidays when it's hard? Yeah, for sure. The holidays are my favorite time of year. And going into this holiday, I was very apprehensive because I didn't want the holidays to be overshadowed by like all the hard things we're going through. Um, the two things that I found have really helped is one, boundaries, like create boundaries for yourself. And going along with that, put yourself first. For the If you need to hear this, whoever you are out there, here's your permission. My permission for you is to put yourself first. Don't worry about hurting people's feelings. Don't worry about saying no. Don't worry about others' expectations of you during the holidays. You put yourself first. For us, that means, and for me personally, that means we say no to some gatherings where I feel like I might not be able to handle being around small children because it just makes me sad. 
And so other people's expectations may be like, well, you should still come into the Christ like Christmas holidays, but nope, that my boundary and is set that I'm not going to go do that because I know that will make me sad and I'm putting myself first this holiday season. And so just setting boundaries and putting yourself first and not worrying about other people's expectations of you is the best advice I can give. It's been so freeing for me and for my husband to be like, you know what, we're going to do what's best for us. And if doing this thing is going to make us sad, we're not going to do it. And honestly, that's good advice regardless of if it's the holiday sure. season or not. <laughs> if you're looking at something going, mm, this is going to be detrimental to my mental health or my physical health or anything, that's probably a good indicator to say no. <laughs> right. I just think in the holidays, you have so many expectations of so many other people about what you're going to do and what family parties you're going to be aware of and like, or attend or what events you're going to do. And I think it's so important to realize like you don't owe anyone anything. Like, yes, you want to be a good family member. Yes, you want to show up for the people who show up for you but you don't need to exhaust yourself meeting everyone's expectations if that's going to hurt your mental health or if that's going to be detrimental to the progress you're making in healing towards a certain trauma or anything like that. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I want to close off by asking you something that I ask all guests on Thrive, and that is, what does Thrive mean to you and how do you strive to thrive in your own everyday life? I love that question. Thrive was actually my word of the year in, I think, 2017, two years no ago. Yes, because I saw a quote that said something along the lines of, I don't want to just survive, I want to thrive. And that really resonated yeah. with me because as a survivor, that's what I've been trained to do. I, I have trained myself to survive, to survive my trauma, to survive the things I'm going through. My mentality has always been, I am a survivor. And while that is so important to me, um, I realized at a point in my life that I was so focused on just getting through and surviving that I wasn't stopping to actually thrive in the midst of my surviving. And so to me, thriving means that not only am I working on overcoming and surviving the things handed to me, but I'm doing it in a way that makes the most out of my life. Um, something that really helps me when in my pursuit of thriving is um, as a pediatric cancer survivor, I lost um, several fellow patients on my floor um, who were younger than me or who were my age. And um, it was so awful for a very long time to, um, to wonder why I survived and they didn't. And now that I'm removed from that, I want to make sure that I not only survive, but like thrive and live a full life in honor of them, for them, um, and for myself. But because they didn't get a chance to, I want to make sure that I can live my best life for my friends um, who, who didn't get a chance to. And so that is what motivates me these days is to just live not only a life of a survivor, but someone who really, truly is embracing a second chance life. That's beautiful. You're a thriver. I'm a thriver. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So where can people find you online? Yeah, uh, I have a blog or website. It's heytherechelsea.com and it's Chelsea spelt I-E, not E-A. <laughs> and um, I'm also on Instagram at heytherechelsea. 
pretty much anywhere on the internet, it's Hey There Chelsea. So come say hey there. <laughs> hey there, Chelsea. <laughs> there, Chelsea. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on Thrive Chelsea. Um, I love you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Of course. I'll see you in our group chat in a bit. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Wait, before you go, if you like what you just listened to, drop us five stars on iTunes. Make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. And if you're on Instagram, snap a screenshot and share to your story with what episode you're tuning into and tag me at Erica Legenza with what part resonated with you the most. That way I can see what's helping you and your friends can pick up a helpful tidbit too. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.